0: using Lorem Ipsum to make beautiful UI, because a lot of what is taught in schools, as I understand it, for design, is about the UI. It's, it's, every, it's the typography, it's the white space, it's the layout, it's the hierarchy, it's, it's all of those things. And it doesn't work until the words are right. It definitely will not be UX. It will not go from being UI to UX until the words are right.
1: Welcome back. You are listening to episode ninety nine of Design Today. I'm your host Dylan Winspear, and my mission is to help you improve your UX game from beginning to end. Whether you're fresh out of school or five years in, my goal is to help you figure out the next step to excel in your career. Episode ninety nine. Can you believe that? The last couple of weeks, I've been reflecting on this journey of over two years, and I was completely humbled and blown away by the support and the relationships that I forged as part of this podcast. Words will never do this justice. It Honestly, it feels like a dream. When I started this show in 2018, the only plan I had was to record more episodes than blog posts I had written in the previous six years. That number, I think, was probably only, I don't know, maybe counted on two hands. And it's safe to say that I surpassed it, but I never intended to set my sights on 100. Your support has made this such a fun and enjoyable experience for me. So with that, I wanted to do something special for episode 100. I've been working on this for a couple weeks now, and I think it's time to prep you for what's coming next week. With episode 100, I've gone back and caught up with seven of our favorite episode guests. It was amazing to catch up with old friends and hear what they've been up to. They also brought some big insights and updates to the topics that we recorded in years past. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. But it doesn't stop there. Well, the episode will be released next Tuesday morning. That evening, I'll be hosting a LinkedIn live session starting at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. In this live session, we'll be celebrating, having a good time, and doing some sweet giveaways that you'll have to be present for to win. So Mark your calendars for next Tuesday as we celebrate episode 100. With the last double-digit episode of Design Today, I've brought on another special guest. Tori Podmajersky is the author of the bestseller, Strategic Writing for UX, one of the original UX writing books published by O'Reilly and holds a no, 4.7 out of 5 stars on Amazon. Additionally, Tori works as a UX writer for Google and was kind enough to share her time with us today. In this episode, we talk about how every UX designer can become a better UX writer with some basic insights to help frame it up right in your mind. We also talk about typical problems that designers tend to struggle with when they write and how to overcome them. There's a ton of great insights packed into this 40-minute episode, so let's get going. Well, Tori, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, I reached out to you cold. We had not connected. But uh, for those who are listening, I do want to uh, kind of plug this quick little story of of how I came to connect with you. Um, I had somebody reach out to me. um, No, rewind that. I reached out to somebody else. I had just noticed on LinkedIn that they were posting a little bit about UX writing. And uh, I've been searching for a UX writer to have back on the podcast because I haven't had a UX writer on the podcast in over a year and a half. And I've been wanting to get back into this topic. I've been wanting to talk about it. So I reached out to this individual and I said, you know, hey, I'd run this podcast. Would you be willing to join me? And she said, um, I don't know if I'm the right person. And I was like, come on, please. <laughs> and uh, she goes, but let me, uh, let me send you somebody who actually might be better suited for you. It's a, a mentor of mine uh, or, or an, a UX writer idol of mine, if you will. And she sent me along your name and I went and started looking at your credentials. I was like, there's not a better person to talk about UX writing with than maybe the founder of UX writing. So Tori, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I appreciate it very much.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Dylan. I will stop you with the founding of UX writing. Like I definitely learned from others and, uh, and there's been people inventing the field all over the place. Um, A few started a few years before I did, and a few started a few years after, but we've all had to create it where we were. Uh, And that's been uh, part of the joy for me, but also part of the reason, well, the main reason I wrote the book, which was I was noticing, oh, my God, people are reinventing this from scratch everywhere. Don't they know how many mistakes we've already made? (laughs) Let me, you know. Let me write some of those down. Oh, wait, maybe a list of mistakes is not the right way. Hang on. How about a book?
1: (laughs) You know, it's funny. Then I won't call you founder. I'll call you co-founder if that works better. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I want to ask you, where did the passion for UX writing begin for you?
0: So the passion for UX writing began for me. um, I will say I didn't know a thing about UX. Uh, when I started it, I started um, I started as a UX writer because a hiring manager, a writing hiring manager at Xbox. Um, I'd been I I was at Microsoft at the time and I was in a uh, sort of business analyst role doing internal communications for a different division. And I was at a career exploration phase for myself. And I had had a bunch of just different career conversations with people around the company. And and I met with him because he had this open role and we had a great conversation. He says, I want you to come work for me. I can't put out a job description because I get all of the wrong kind of writers. I don't want a marketing writer. I don't want a tech writer. I need somebody who can write words on a screen. And he says, you're going to be great at it because you are a high school teacher and you can explain abstract concepts to teenagers and get them doing their thing. Mm. And, and he says, and there's no test at the end. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, I'll give this a shot. And I met the team and I, and I was taught that uh, this is a way to do what was then called, you know, is partnering with design. Um, we were content developers at the time which we made a lot of jokes about being content developers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, writers. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but so what I learned there was that my, actually my most relevant experience was as a high school teacher. I taught chemistry and, uh, and science teachers are really lucky because we get a bunch of stuff to mess with. Like it is all about, uh, as a science teacher, opening up, the students' experience of the physical phenomena and making sense of it and moving forward. Um, So I was a chemistry teacher and we had manipulables. We called them, you know, like atomic models and we had chemical experiments to run and things like that. And as as a teacher, I was always finding new labs and new ways of doing classroom management. So I could have 32 kids and live fire and flammable substances all happening in a, in a closed room Mm -hmm. without, you know, death or disorder or, you know, injury, uh, in UX, trying to get somebody into an experience and moving them through it in a consistent way. Um, it is doing that same sort of work, but at scale and mm-hmm. with that same sort of empathy, but at scale mm-hmm. um, and not being able to go around lab bench to lab bench to get people back on track and keep working on their, their work. Um,
1: that's, that's really yeah. interesting. How many other, other of your co-founders have come <laughs> from a, a background maybe in more traditional educational writing? Is that a norm?
0: It is not a norm. Um, I will say that there's been a few people that I've talked to that have, have heard my story and reached out to me and said, I'm a teacher. I didn't know that was even possible. And and just coaching them on saying, yes, your experience in a classroom, you know, creating experiences is valuable UX experience. It is yeah. different than designing a user interface, but it is definitely bringing people in, doing onboarding, getting people engaged and through a subject, making sure that they are understanding what they need to and uh, and through to completion. And the bar for teaching is way higher in terms of engagement and completion than it is in any flow.
1: Well, it's really interesting because the tie-in as you're describing it actually makes a lot of sense. And that's why I was curious if others had come in via the same route High school science was a few, a few years ago, uh, but I do remember like the worksheets that, that I was given with the instructions of, you know, now I go through yep. this, now I go through this, now I go through this. And, you know, it makes really yeah. sense to see like the clear instructions there would make a good tie into strategic writing for UX. That's, that's a really cool background.
0: Absolutely. There. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that as a high school student, um, we've all used terrible instructions where you look at them and you're like, I don't even know why we're here in class today, much less what we're learning or what I'm supposed to do. But I know I'm going to get yelled at if I'm not wearing safety glasses. Like, <laughs> right, like we've used terrible sets of instructions and we've used wonderful sets of instructions where you feel supported and uh and like you are knowledgeable and gaining confidence as you go. And that's mm-hmm. really one of the core things that the writing can do in any of these user experiences is to build people's confidence as they go through it. They should mm-hmm. feel smarter, more capable. They should like feel have a feeling of progress um even when they hit an error condition. Right? They should yeah. hit the error condition and bounce and have enough information to get right back in. And that's yeah. the job of the words.
1: Well, that's really cool. You know, I appreciate that background. I, I actually had not known that. Was that something that's touched on in the book? I admittedly have not read the book yet.
0: About the, um, sorry, which part?
1: Your, your teaching background.
0: I think it is mentioned in the introduction, but, uh, but I have mentioned it in, in a couple of interviews like this. Okay. So I, yeah, so that's why I sometimes get people reaching out to me, which is great.
1: That's really cool. So where did the book, Start because I, I recognize that you were documenting a lot of the things that you were learning. Uh, but where did the book actually begin? Where how was that conceived?
0: The book began. Um, so I I was at OfferUp and I was leaving OfferUp and had taken a, a job at Google. And between those two jobs, I went to ConFab, and that was in 2018. The ConFab is a, a content strategy conference that's held in Minneapolis in years that are not 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And I went there and it was the first time it's a conference of, I think it was 700 or 750 people that year. Um, All people, content professionals and content professionals are not just writers. It is writers and people who manage sets of content and people who strategize about what kind of content is, is available. It's a, it's a broad field and for the first time i was at a conference and there was like 40 other people in the slack for product content and it was and we you know met up at one of the lunches and it was like wow this is amazing this is the first time i've been around so many professional ux writers you know whatever our titles are um people working on those problems at the same time and then the questions like the, the problems they were saying they were working on because of course it's at a conference and it all turned to shop talk very quickly um but the the problems they were having and the you know boy i'm i'm really worried about using these words instead of this word um and i was thinking to myself oh we solved that problem like we did research we solved that problem why are we still talking about this oh no Nobody knows because <laughs> all of that research was done inside Teams. Like mm-hmm. I was thinking about research that had been done inside Microsoft and of course not shared outside of that because it's all proprietary. Um, and, and I know that you know there are other very slim slices that I had heard of from people who had come in or, or uh, gone away again and I had talked to them, but it was a very small community. Very small sharing set, and uh, you know a handful of online blogs that people referred to and over and over again. So then I I went home from that conference, and I talked about this to my husband and to some other people, and they said, "Oh, you need to write a book." And then the next weekend was Memorial Day weekend, and we were mm-hmm. vacationing with friends. And I uh, I said, "Okay, tell me to write this book," and. Uh, There just happened to be some post-it notes and Sharpie. I was vacationing at the house of a friend who is a design director. So that may have had something to do with it. And uh, yeah. So then I, I took the post-its and Sharpie and outlined a book and said, "Wow, that would be a solid book right there. That would be a helpful book to these, you know, 40 people who I had just been at a conference with talking about, you know, uh, attacking small problems and not in a strategic way. Um, and not with a wealth of, of, at that point I had, you know, eight years or nine years of experience to, to draw from. Um, so yeah, so I, I drew up the book, pitched it and started working on it.
1: Is a, is a book easier or harder for somebody who comes with the background of writing?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, It is, it is very, uh, all kinds of writing are different, um, first of all. So it's like if you were to ask a a visual artist, you know, is, is oil painting harder than watercolor? (laughs) Whoa, they're so different. Right. Um, However, uh, I had a a fiction writing practice. I've written fiction for many years. So I knew how to write, you know, to put my butt in seat. And attack the next thing. Yep. Um, So I used that muscle a lot. Okay. And yeah, so, so it didn't get hard until I had the um, pitch turned into a contract uh, with Mm O'Reilly. And, uh, and then I promised a three month schedule. And that was a silly promise that I should have made a lot longer. But um, thankfully, my husband is a wonderful cook and reminded me to stop and eat. <laughs> and, uh, and I wrote all the way through the holidays and, and met my deadlines and got it in.
1: Well, that's very cool. And your passion for writing must have come through because I just looked on Amazon this morning. You average 4.7 stars on Amazon uh, yeah. and a lot of positive reviews. Um, I wanted to ask you: Who do you feel benefits most from this this strategic writing for UX book? Is it people who are just starting to get their feet wet in content writing, or should you have a little bit more experience under your belt?
0: So, what I'm hearing from people is that the uh, it's most helpful to sort of two groups of people. I hear I hear pretty distinct groups. One is a group that is just getting into it and wants to to um, uh whether they have a writing background or not, they're just getting into really studying the UX-ness of the words in the UI, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and trying to work on that well. And for them, the um the chapters on the text patterns and just having sort of a basic to start from and start editing from um is is terrific. Um also the sort of an overlap with that group is the people who are new to UX careers in general. And there's a chapter, mm-hmm. um, all of it's the, it's my 30, 60, 90 day plan for when I join a team. Um, because in general, when I have joined the past, Oh, I think six or seven teams, I have been their first UX writer and they kind of don't know what to do with me. So I get, I shared my guide for, You know, here's how to break down the questions to ask and or here's how I break down the questions to ask and the information to gather so that you can dig in and start uh, providing value right away. Um, So that's sort of one mega category of people for the book. The other category is people who've been working on UX for a long time, product managers and experienced designers who are looking at the words and saying, I've always known I wanted these to be better, but I didn't have a system for making them better. Mm-hmm. And they love the voice uh, design chapter and the conversation design chapter. Um, and then start applying it and go, wow, this is really a power tool. Very cool. For them. Yeah. Well,
1: you've encouraged me to go back and make that purchase on Amazon and I'll I'll drop a link to uh to the Amazon book uh in the show notes so those who are listening can, can go and check it out themselves. Uh because I think I would fall into that second category. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how often, like I'm I'm not a UX writer. I do try and take a stab at writing and, and all the design work that I do, uh, but I, I can't tell you how often I look at that and go like, that's not right. But <laughs> It could work for a beta test,
0: <laughs> and that's and that's honestly like everybody who works on software to this point has been de facto a UX writer, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody has had to take some responsibility for the words or had opinions about them that they feel compelled to share, um, and nobody's butt has been on the line for it. Yep, um, in most teams.
1: You know, I'm going to poke one hole on that. I will mm-hmm. say. The- are not uh, jumping into that challenge are people who are relying on lorem ipsum to fill out. <laughs> and I've got a, a design mentor of mine who says the difference between a junior designer and a senior designer is lorem ipsum, mm-hmm. and I found that really kind of funny because again, if you jump on Dribble, you don't spend a whole lot of time looking at the words in people's mocks; you look at the pretty UI and therefore right. the words don't make this a pretty ui it's the colors it's the shapes it's the shadows and so i think people think that you know if i'm comparing with my 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 work with dribble work i don't really need to put a lot of emphasis into the words but once you get into the workplace your mocks aren't finished until they've got some con- context to go along with them and writing it for the first time for somebody who's not used to it can be a struggle so i Absolutely. wanted to ask you, how do you uh, you know, you've obviously had a lot of conversations about UX writing. What are typical problems you see early designers struggling with when it comes to UX writing?
0: Yeah, I think that your your point about um, designing for Dribbble, uh is very, very well put. I don't think I've ever heard it put quite that way before. Um, the using Lorem Ipsum to make beautiful UI because a lot of what is taught in schools as i understand it um for design is about the ui it's it's everything it's the typography it's the white space it's the layout it's the hierarchy it's it's all of those things um and it doesn't work until the words are right mm-hmm. it definitely will not be ux it will not go from being ui to ux until the words are right um at least, you know, usable in some way. Uh, There are... I think that it's really hard um, for anybody when they are starting out on a design, whether they have decades of experience, literally, or, you know, a few months of experience. One of the hardest parts is to, to distill down but what would go in this button? Is there a title on this page? I don't even know. So I will say that when uh, when a product is being worked on in such an early phase, that there's, no, there's not even a design system to really work from and to know how a page will be structured. That is kind of the one moment I would say, use some lorem ipsum. You don't care what it's doing for you at the moment. You need to know... How you know you need to give yourself a framework in order to work on some visual cues, but as soon as it needs to be used for a purpose, then I would say, take that beautiful design, put it to the side, it will be there when you need it later, and then go to a whiteboard or post it notes, or even just a long conversation if you are a visual designer who does not use visual cues, whatever. um and and design the conversation that that user and that app or that experience need to have and say you know where are you going how do we get you there and mm-hmm. sequence the ideas intentionally and once you get those ideas sequenced you will have had to write those ideas down in some way they won't be the right way and that's fine think of it as you know to use, to borrow a different art metaphor When you are drawing a human face or a human body, you don't start out, you know, with the exact profile or the exact line. You start out with some guidelines that you can kind of stay within or play with. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're looking for at the very beginning. And then even from that rough set of like, I'm going, I'm having this conversation, these ideas in this sequence, you can take those raw words and put them into your beautiful design. They won't be the right words yet, but they'll at least be in the right order and going in the right direction. And that is something that you can look at and give sort of that that, that furrowed brow look to and say, I don't think you're ripe yet, but at least we're going in the right direction. Yeah. And then you can start to apply the patterns uh, and you can start to apply you know, best practices. Um, and you can start to apply the voice of that product, which hopefully you've also designed when you've designed your beautiful visual layout. You've yeah. also designed how should this make people feel.
1: Now you're you're getting right down the path that I, I want to go because you're talking about like high level, you are kind of right now this conversation, you're applying it to the mocks at maybe a rough form. And Mm -hmm. then you mentioned that, you know, the furrowed brow approach to looking at it. Now, I naturally have a furrowed brow approach. Um, And so I I furrow brow pretty much everything I do. Um, (laughs) But once you start looking at those words on paper, what is the process of refining it? Uh, And and how do you discover what those best practices are? We'll get into voice in a second because I do want to hit on that. But how do you start to refine the words? Is it just how can I simplify it? How can I make it clear? Like, what's your your checklist?
0: Yeah, I what I outline in the book is a four step process. And it's funny that you haven't read the book, because this is a perfect segue into that. So well done. Um, (laughs) And, and I also say in the book, like the four step process doesn't need to be rigidly followed. But in order to communicate it in the book, like, hey, do it in four steps, it will also work as a rigid process. And the first thing is to make it purposeful. Right? you you take the string and you say what job does it need to do here and does it do that job does it convey the information they need in this step and does it hint at what comes in the future if that needs to be done does it disclose anything that that will be will cause liability for the company if we don't disclose it things like that what is its job and is it doing its job then you work on making it concise and that's when you Cut out every extraneous word. Uh, My friend Ellie Searle, who's an excellent UX writer who I taught with for many years, used to say, um, make every word audition to be on that page. And if they can't cut it, then cut it out. So then you make it concise. And that in general makes it, it the whole job of that one is to get it just as short as possible. Because the way people read screens, they don't want to scan more than 50 characters wide in English Mm -hmm. and they will not read anything that is deeper than three lines long. People will just, you know, their eyes don't even cover it. They just assume, oh, there's so much text there. Nobody really expected me to read it. Well, crap. Mm -hmm. So how do we get it concise? And then it's usually very terse and rude and robotic and gross. So then after concise, add a few words back with the lens of, is it conversational? Does it honor that uh, this person is in a conversation with this experience? And a conversation is sort of the basic human way that we convey information and create progress. So, So is it conversational? And then one final check, is it clear? Clear trumps everything else. So if it is not clear, oh, go back as far as you need to in that process to make sure that the person who will read it will get it.
1: Now, is the check for clarity is that done in a usability test?
0: The, in the best case, yes, but it should start with a, do I think this is clear? Sure. Does does the uh, anybody else on the team, whether that's another designer? or, uh, program manager or engineer. Hey, do you get that? Okay. If it doesn't pass that sniff check, go back even before user research uh, begins.
1: You know, I've seen oftentimes that, you know, designers tend to get too close to their own product, right? It's it's a natural step that you get too close to. And so what you think is making sense may not make sense to another, right? And well, this is clear. I know exactly what it means. Well, there's a usability test that needs to happen. But, you know, showing it to somebody who's not as close to the product goes a long ways as well. Absolutely. Um, I really like what you said before. And this is going to be a pull quote that I'll be using outside of the, the podcast here. But make every word audition to be on that page, I think is really a, a cool kind of process to think through, right? Does that mm-hmm. work along here? I've worked with a lot of product managers and designers where we've sat down and said like, hey, we need to put a little modal on the screen or we need to put a little confirmation <laughs> snack bar on the screen and you know the snack bar we designed only wraps to two lines and they're like well can we just wrap it to a third line no we yeah. cannot you can say what you need to <laughs> say in two lines i guarantee it but mm-hmm. we get so tempted to go like um it's not conveying what i need it to convey so i'll just keep going
0: right i'll just keep adding more chunks of ui to a thing Until it no longer is in, you know, it no longer respects the conversation and it's no longer clear because there's just information coming from all sides.
1: Yep. A pull quote that I have from my previous episode on writing uh, that I still remember and I think about this often is that uh, my guest, she said, uh, people try and overcompensate for poor design with more words.
0: Absolutely. Oh, what a great thing to say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You've seen that as well?
0: I have seen that all the time. And I I liken it to um, if we if we imagine a conversation as being like, oh, you've got a customer and you've got a customer service person at some counter. And whether that's, you know, imagine it in a physical world, like you're going up to an information counter at a tourist bureau, or you're going up to um, a check-in counter at a medical establishment, like whatever it is. Imagine if some of the information you needed was create, was given to you by another person who just randomly stopped by that counter while you're talking with the service person. So you're talking with the medical check-in person and somebody just taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, you also need to know this. Well, that's bananas, right? Nobody wants these, you know, How do you know you can trust that source of information? How does that go with other information you've just heard? Right. Why wasn't it integrated in a designed way? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. yeah.
1: It's it's a tough thing to to balance. And I want to get back to this last piece that you said here when you're talking about adding conversation back uh, to what you've kind of started simplifying. How do you not get carried away with all of a sudden adding too much back? Like what are we looking to add back? Is is it voice? Is it personality?
0: It is sometimes voice or personality, but it's it's really you're looking to make sure that it's conversational after you've made it so concise that it may sound robotic or orderly, you know, just I'm saying do this thing, do this other thing, then do this. Where we could say, Hey when you're done doing this, do this other thing, right? Like we can make it as if you would say it to a person. And a great way to test that is to literally read it out loud. Is that, do those words feel comfortable in your mouth that way? Mm -hmm. You know, do you phrase things that way as a human? And if you can't imagine saying it to another person while not being angry at that person, (laughs) Then, then it probably doesn't belong in your UI.
1: Okay, well, now I want to get into voice because I think that's a mm-hmm. great time. because how I would say something may not be the way my company or the product needs to say something. So
0: Absolutely.
1: how do you make that balance?
0: So you make it balance. So the, the conversationality is sort of core to being human, right? So that's sort of a minimum bar of, would you say this, and not necessarily you, but could you imagine humans saying this to each other in a conversation? But when you go to design a voice, you want to say, what are the principles that apply there for this product? How does this product? Uh, how is it mm, perceived? How does it make people feel? Mm-hmm. And it's you know it should be very aligned with the brand. You know how does that brand uh, want to make people? Feel? What is the impression sh- that it should leave? And once we know that, and we design the words based on that, we say, oh, well, then what concepts for each of those principles do we need to mention or do we need to think about mentioning at different points? Like, uh, the best analogy for this is, and it comes from my fiction writing background. Um, when you read a work of fiction, you should be able to recognize who is speaking even when they are not attributed. Mm -hmm. Right. You should be able to know, Oh, this is something that this character would say. And the reason you know that even though it is just ink on paper is because of the things they are talking about, the vocabulary they generally use, the grammar they use, and how many words they use. Those are really the basics. And -hmm. because it's in writing, you can think about the capitalization and punctuation. Because it's in writing in English, capitalization works. Many languages don't have capitalization. So out of luck. Um, So you've got those six tools to say, here is what my voice looks like. Here are the concepts we'll talk about, the words we will tend to use to use them. How many words we will use for different ideas and concepts. Um, and then the grammar, the punctuation and capitalization.
1: That's good. Uh, It's going to make a lot more sense when I go back and listen to it a second time. <laughs> because There's a lot of, of good right there. and I'm trying to figure out like, okay, so I walk in as a freelance designer into a, mm-hmm. a rebrand project. Mm-hmm. And part of this rebrand is we need to identify the new brand voice. What does this sound like? What is the, the personality behind it? Yeah. What that, and I assume what you just mentioned is the process that you would go through to identify that brand voice. Is that right? Yes.
0: Yep. Yeah. So you would start with principles and what those, or what I've been calling principles and they could be values, you know, whatever they, they look like for, for that pro or that team really. Um, so maybe, uh, and for one of the examples in the book, I, I say, oh, here's this, uh, Metro bus app mm-hmm. and they, uh, one of its values is to be efficient. Well, then how do you convey efficiency? You say, oh, every ride is on time. And we are saving time and money by doing these things. Well, so if those are the concepts and the, the words we want to use. We want to say save time and save money. And we're going to also use very few words. Like we're going to save this person's time by writing extremely concisely. mm Right. And we're going to use very simple grammar because we don't need people to have to negotiate in their brain what does the passive voice using two negative words mean to me right now?
1: Mm-hmm. When
0: instead it could be a, a simple direct statement, you know, like to do this, do this thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's how it would land. Like you you take your principle and then you just figure out all the way through. How does that land? And what that means is that different principles that apply to the same product may have different sort of rules for voice. So you need to know as a UX designer of language, how do you, like, what is the principle that most applies to this moment in the UX for the people who will see this screen what do what's important to them and what's important to us as a product that we want to emphasize
1: yeah that is a tricky tricky process and is there anything that helps get you better at it outside of just more practice
0: (laughs) uh practice and feedback right like practicing in a vacuum doesn't work as well Mm -hmm. uh as practicing with feedback Mm -hmm. and and this is yeah. Well, and it's very tough. A lot of the UX writing challenges that are, that are out there and available to people uh, looking to get into the field, which are great. Those definitely didn't exist when I was getting into it. And it's sure. amazing that that community and that resource exists now. Um, and I get stuck on those. And I think, what well, what I write, and I think, I don't know enough about the rest of the flow. I don't know enough about this product. And how the company wants to position it. I don't know enough about the users who are going to come and use it and see this screen. So I get stuck in sort of knowing too much about, oh, you know, I can make it simple, I can make it concise, I can make it conversational, I can make it clear, but I don't know the first thing, and that is the purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. And so without the purpose and without a voice of like, how do I tune it strategically for this moment? I I end up not feeling satisfied about my rewrites of such things.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I am learning in this episode that I've got a lot to learn about <laughs> UX writing still, and and I don't mind that. You know, again, I've been in the field now of, of uh, UX design for about ten years, mm-hmm. and uh, I, my my passion for writing wanes and uh, <laughs> I, I know that writing is not something that i will ever be extremely passionate about but i think as we're describing it though or as as i state that it's more in like the fictional writing you know mm-hmm. I i i won't be the person to sit down and write a fictional book that's not my skill set i will sit down and read a fictional book all day but <laughs> writing it not so much but what you're describing though is that fictional writing content writing or strategic writing is not the same and there's a completely yeah. different process that you're going through and I okay. like these, these different uh, checkpoints or, or values that you're describing to help UX designers uh, create uh, strategic writing. And, and I think the insights that you're sharing are going to be extremely valuable for me to go back and re-listen to. So <laughs> thank you for sharing these. Tori, we're unfortunately kind of at time here. And so before I wrap up, I want to be able to uh, give people who are interested in connecting with you or reaching out to you an opportunity to find you. So where can we plug that uh, they should be able to do so at?
0: The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn at Tori Podmajurski and on Twitter at Tori Bird, uh, Um and, and yeah, reach out to me, say hi. Uh, I have a wonderful collection of things that people have liked and disliked about the book. Um, okay. And I love to hear from people. Um, about their ideas. Uh, the book is says one way or like my ways of doing things. And there's a ton of ways to do UX writing. And I'm interested in seeing the field grow.
1: Very cool. I, I promise you this, the book will be ordered before the end of the day today. And <laughs> by the time this episode airs, I, I bet I will have read it as well. I, I think this is uh, amazing insights that you share. And I can't actually I can't wait to get into the book. So Tori, thank you very much. Uh, This has been an absolute pleasure.
0: Thank you, Dylan. It's been my pleasure.
1: That's a wrap on another episode. Thank you for choosing to listen to Design Today. Check out our website at designtoday.com. There you'll find all of our past episodes, resources, links to join our Slack community, and even an option to sign up for a career coaching session with me. If this episode has provided any level of value to you, then consider subscribing There's so much more to come with episodes launching every single Tuesday. If you're already subscribed, then thank you. Consider leaving a rating or a review. Share this episode with a friend or coworker. As always, your support means a ton and it goes a long way. Until next time, this is Dylan Winspear encouraging you to keep pushing and design something new today.